Hey there, my name is Aaron Joel Craig. Uh, I'm one of the folks behind Salt Cellar Arts here in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, the conversation you're about to hear is a conversation we had this past weekend with Andy Squires, which was really great. Um, he's here chatting with uh, Nina Sherman-Drenth, who's one of the pastors at Eucharist Church here, another one of the Salt Cellar folks. Um, yeah, we're really glad Andy was able to come up uh, and have this chat and play a show with us. Um, the first voice you're going to hear on this recording is Scott Aceman, uh, who's going to introduce the evening and read a poem by Ted Hughes. And then you're going to get uh, the conversation that Andy and Nina had, minus the Q&A, because that's just for the folks in the room. Um, yeah, I hope that you love it. It was a really great night. Um, there's so much in here. I'll just let them talk. They're going to do a better job than I will. Hello, everyone. Great to see a huge crowd out tonight. If you want to make your way to a seat, that'd be great. Um, and as you're taking a seat, I just want to welcome everyone to... Uh, no, October, we're in October, October's Salt Cellar Arts Gathering. Um, in case you don't know what you've signed up for, Salt Cellar Arts is a community information here um, of people who find that art making and soul making are on the same page. They're similar, they're neighbors. Um, we're a community that explores art, explores faith, explores how those two things kind of cross over. And yeah, we do a lot of fun things. Um, if you don't want some more information, we have these little cards by the door with our schedule on there. Um, each month we kind of try to do something um, kind of fun. This month we have, of course, Andy here with, uh, with our good friends, Shaky Knees. Thanks for bringing Andy over. Um, yeah, give him a yeah. I mean, and each month we, I mean, we're not getting musicians in and stuff. I think next month we're cutting up some magazines, but it's going to be fun too. So, yeah, for poetry reasons. So, um, so yeah, if if you'd like some more information, or if you even want to, or just want a sticker, grab one of those on the way out. Um, yeah, I think. That's all we need to know about that. Uh, I'm going to open with a short poem. Um, I was I'm a, generally I'm a person who likes to have it on in a book, but unfortunately I just thought of it on the way on the drive over after dinner. We had a group of people together eating with Andy, and and this some of the stuff that Andy was talking about had got me thinking of this poem, and um, so I pulled it up and I'm going to share it with you guys tonight. It's a poem by a fellow named Ted Hughes. He's an English poet, and this poem's called Go Fishing. Join water, wade in underbeing. Let brain mist into moist earth. Ghost loosen away downstream. Gulp river and gravity. Lose words, cease. Be assumed into glistenings of lymph, as if creation were a wound, as if this flow were all plasm healing. Be supplanted by mud and leaves and pebbles, by sudden rainbow monster structures that materialize in suspension, gulping and dematerialize under pressure of the eye. Be cleft by the sliding prow, 
displaced by the hull of light and shadow, dissolved in earth wave, the sun, oh, the soft sun shock dismembered in sun melt, become translucent, one untangling drift of water mesh and a weight of earth taste light mangled by wing shadows, everything circling and flowing and hover still. Crawl out over roots, new and nameless. Search for face, harden into, into limbs. Let the word world come back like a white hospital, busy with urgency words. Try to speak and nearly succeed. Heal into time and other people. So open us in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity, for these people here gathered from some pretty far and different places, and I just pray that this time that we may have um, gracious hearts, gracious ears, and some gracious words to be shared with us. Thank you for this opportunity. Amen. So with that, I'd like to welcome up um, our conversationalists for the evening. Um, we have Nina, who is a leader here at Salt Cellar, but also a pastor here at Eucharist. And of course, um, we ha have with her is uh, Andy Squires, um, a singer-songwriter based out of so North Carolina. Um, he's come here. I'm sure you all know who he is. And I just would like to welcome them both up and let them get started. Lovely. Thanks for the introduction, Scott. Before we get into our conversation, I had asked Andy if he would consider sharing a uh, poetic essay. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, Andy is a singer-songwriter. Um, he has a repertoire of music. He also writes, um, you know, what would you call them? Poetry or prose or essay or what are they? What do you call them? I'm, I'm still, Instagram posts? I'm, yeah, <laughs> I, I think I'm going to go with Instagram posts, and I was initially really offended by that idea, but, but I think I, at this point I have to own it, you know? They're just Instagram posts. <laughs> Why don't you share one with us? All right. <clears throat> this is called We Live by Faith. I wake up in the morning and feel the weight of the transience of life sitting on my chest. So I lift my hands up, still lying in my bed, and I praise the Lord. Then I grab my iPhone, and I read the news, the weather, my Twitter feed, and finally, I play Wordle. <laughs> if you can't find the grace of God on your smartphone, then it's not anywhere. Can you imagine how insufferable it must be to live with a poet? I'm in the corner of the house singing you bring the morning, thinking to myself, what a genius I am. <laughs> and Amy is like, okay, but could you bring the dishes from the table now? <laughs> LOL, not really, but sometimes it's like that. Here is something we can trust, even though we cannot fully understand it. In the beginning, the word was with God, and the word was God, and God created everything through the word. 
None of us are required to understand exactly how that works. It's just our joy to receive it. Biologists and cosmologists investigate cell and universe and then, like the rest of us, die. Do you know what Chris E.W. Green says? He says that obedience is not the breaking of our will by a more powerful will. Obedience is the healing of our will by participation in its source. This relieves me because in so many areas of my life, my inner life, I remain fairly unchanged, and yet it seems that God is ever kind. Truly, I want to be healed. It's one thing to write or say clever things about grace or patience, but it's something else altogether to not give in to my own rage and anger during a moment of conflict. Now that is work. Yielding to the healing power of the Holy Spirit so that what remains unchanged and earthly, sensual, and demonic, James 3, can be exposed and healed. Heal us, God, heal us. And by us, I mean me. Heschel said it first, but I've said it so many times now that I'm just gonna go ahead and quote myself. <laughs> first we praise, then we see. We get up in the morning and we whisper, thank you, God. And that is a start to transformation. We embrace our poverty by faith. Of course, we utilize rationale and reason. They can serve us well, but our hearts come alive by faith. But our transformation will not be without squirming. We will be healed, but there will be discomfort. Thank you for sharing that, Andy. I, I wasn't going to start with this question, but it's, it's, I'm feeling led to this question that I've kind of always wanted to ask you ever since I found you on Instagram. And that's that, I mean, here's the thing. That was, there was so much there. Like, there were probably 20 absolutely fascinating things that we could talk about for the whole rest of the night just in that one piece of work. And when, when I encounter your poetic essays, they really make me want to stop and meditate and savor. And they're on Instagram. Like, they're primarily on Instagram where I'm kind of going like this. And, and I, when, I, when I encounter your posts, I need to make a decision about whether to stop doing this. Do any of you guys notice that? And I just, I wonder, like, could you say something about the kind of subversion that you're doing while also still the engagement that you're doing on social media? Yeah. The, that whole project started because um, this creative team that I work with who do my design stuff came up with the idea actually. We, we, I had run out of marketing money for my last record. I didn't have any marketing money for my last record. So they said, you should just write about the things that these songs are about. Mm. So that was really the genesis of, of me sitting down and, and, and writing things. And <clears throat> um, Unfortunately, 
the, 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 the posts sound actually like my inner world. Like that's, that's how my brain works. And I, I said this recently on, on a post, I, I actually need somebody to talk to me like I talked out loud. I, it, it, poetry is a means that I can understand things that I can't understand. I, I, I enjoy reading theologians and I enjoy reading philosophers, um, a, but a lot of the times the, the linear way that they're connecting dots feels very foreign to me. Yeah. And that's why I, I, I really do believe that we, we have, I mean, we have to have the arts, we have to have poets because not everybody is an engineer. Mm -hmm. Not everybody, their minds don't work in a straight line. And so, um, yeah, so I, I, guess, I guess in writing circles, it's called finding your voice. You know, when I started writing those things, um, I, I was making myself laugh, first of all. I would, I would write outrageous things, and I, th <laughs> and I would think, oh, that's really funny. And then, and then there would be occasional nuggets of just spiritual stuff that I had been either reading or thinking about. And then kind of the all of those things coming together, it seemed to create this self-generating flow, mm -hmm. you know? <clears throat> it's what's interesting is I rarely go back and read what I've written, and so, but recently I've had to compile more essays for the forthcoming volume, and I, I went back and I read, and I can see my progression actually, I can see when I first started and I can see there's, there's tonal changes that are going on. And I'm really liking the last 12 months worth of work. I'm like, wow, I, I don't really cringe at this. I'm, that must mean I'm growing as, as, a, as a laborer in, in this field, you know, so. And there's something so meaningful and important about having spaces to talk about um, anything but especially god mm -hmm. in that more meandering way that way that's a little more like circular and less linear we've, we've tried the linear thing we've we got really good places i love theology sure but there's something about that that flow like i like the word flow that you used there yeah and and there's an interesting intersection that i've seen come out of my life where <clears throat> the the, the religious tradition of my youth and into my adulthood, the charismatic Pentecostal tradition, still absolutely informs my worldview, but it's, it's been married to some other thoughts. And I think the, the, the love child of all of those different streams is, you know, these posts. And there's, I think, I think there's, there's a few things there's an insistence on faith as being the thing that we need in the world right now. And I mean that in like in an anthropological sense. I, I think what we're discovering in culture right now is that all of the silliness that we've thought, well, we, well we've, heard, we've heard those voices in our ears that, I mean, I, mean, I hate to, pick on Richard Dawkins and any of the new atheists, but they've made a very public case on why people who have any kind of faith at all, religious practice, are just buffoons. And, and the, the, 
those who were practicing apologetics when I was young uh, were working hard to refute those guys using different means. And, uh, but, but I'm not an apologist. I don't practice that discipline, so I got to come at it from a different point of view, and I'm, I feel like I have a, a fire in my belly that desires to proclaim. I, I had an Episcopalian priest tell me this one time, and it, it helped me understand myself. He said, Andy, you're a proclaimer. What you do is you proclaim things. And I, and I thought that was silly because... Um, we live in an age where there needs to be reason behind every premise. Like you make a premise and then you have to have the, the, the undergirding for that thing. But, there, but there's, that's, that, that idea is only 400 years old. Yeah. There's, a proclam there's a tradition of proclamation that's much older than that. So I was, I was finding that, that, and that's part of my Pentecostal tradition as well. So that that poet priest prophet priest thing was like coming to the surface in those writings even more than in my music yeah and i and i i felt like uh the the constraints that i would feel in um songwriting which i love i, I adore songwriting i love it i'll never stop doing it but when you don't have have to worry about verse chorus stuff you can get really crazy on the on the page yeah. you know yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Fewer constraints. I like that idea of being a proclaimer, and I do feel like that. Like I can see that in your work. You're mm -hmm. kind of. It's true. You're not doing apologetics. You're more so saying, "I just love this." Yeah. Like I'm not here to tell you why I do yeah. or why anyone should. I just want you to know that I love this. Yeah. And I really think that that earnestness that you bring into your work is mm. part of what's so compelling and I think even refreshing especially in spaces where there's a culture of cynicism that sort of like hangs over our heads I do feel like there are so many spaces where where we're where we're sort of told that it's wise to be cynical or it's wise to be despairing and you sort of you play the opposite game and I did want to ask you about that like I think firstly like what is it what is it like for you to be a Christian artist that's, that's unabashed about your earnestness right now? Um, it's, it's, it's satisfying, it's fairly easy. Um, I, I know, I, I really do mean that, because I, I, I feel, I feel f fairly happy at this point in my life because I, th I think for a lot of years, I've, I, I do believe in callings that that we have callings as human beings, and mm -hmm. we're not all of us are going to do the same thing. But I, I, there's heaven heaven sends out callings. I'll yeah. just say it that way, and so <clears throat> I I've realized that um, I I don't I don't come in contact so much with non-Christian people as I do with people who are formerly Christian. Mm. And, and that seems to be the waters that we're all swimming in. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I, I, I will say this, I, I should acknowledge that 
I have formed a way of writing or, or communicating that I, I am aware that the way I'm speaking is, is right in this moment right now because because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I, I figured out this thing that if you can beat the postmodernist to the punch of the critique, um, you, you, you gain a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I, I have a friend, Paul Antleitner, he's, he's in, in Minnesota, but he's been talking a lot about um, metamodernism. Mm. And he, he's, he's pulling out all of these references within culture, but he called me about uh, maybe six weeks ago and he's like, I figured you out, Andy, you're, you're a metamodernist writer. Mm. And, and the flex is that you, you are you're agreeing that cynicism is the rational response to the modern moment, mm -hmm. but then you take the sincere route. Yeah. So it's the acknowledgement, like, it's like you're smart enough to, to, to communicate that, um, that everything's absurd, right? Like, okay, okay, Richard Dawkins, Everything's absurd, or whoever. But, but then you you unabashedly choose uh, hopefulness, and you proclaim. You 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 proclaim faith, or belief in the age of unbelief, and and like in if if we're playing the long game here, to me that's the most rock and roll move you can make right now. <laughs> you know, it's the most punk rock thing you can do. And I like that you said it's kind of easy because I think that like, if you're actually a Christian, like yeah. that's actually, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of energy that can put you in that direction. Like just read the Bible. Yeah. It's a really hopeful book. It is. But if you're not a Christian, mm -hmm. that's very hard. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to not be cynical. Yes. So I have a question for you. Like, how, so um, I don't think that I'm outing you by, by saying, I think that you posted on Instagram that you're in your 50s. Mm -hmm. How have you stayed earnest? Like, what can you tell us here about how to stay earnest? Well, you have to look at your options, I guess. You know, like, it, it, it's... I, I very much resonate with the Apostle Peter in, in that moment where, you know, Jesus is, is doing his kingdom of God ministry where he's shrinking the amount of followers that he has. Everybody's abandoning ship. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, where, what about you? He's like, man, I don't know. Things are looking pretty bad, but I just have no other where to go, yeah. you know? And so I think that the, all of this is anecdotal. I'm, I'm not a social scientist, uh, clearly, but like, <laughs> like, I, I feel aware enough in the world that I'm living to recognize that m most people who I know personally 
who have given up on their own project of faith and have had to take on the meaning-making story of their own life. They, they, they take on a burden that is greater than any of the burdens that they had within the church. So as, as, as messy and lame sauce as the church might be, like when you have to go invent your own religion, things get really difficult. I have, I have a couple of friends, like former minor Christian celebrities who like, you know, we were having this conversation about minor Christian celebrities earlier and I was just saying like, that's really the very bottom of the barrel. It's like the worst thing that you can be. <laughs> Like, it's, it's nothing to try to rise to. It's just like people who, we must accept our fate and we, we have to wear our red letter of shame somewhere. And, um, but I, I've known some of these folks who, they, they started a deconstruction journey. They removed themselves from their local bodies. They were still like earning money from the church on some like, professional level and then throwing a massive critique at the church then they finally left the church and then they everybody says oh i'm going to stay a christian but i'm not going to go to church and then that project quickly stops right. and they they end up waking up one day and I, they say this they say oh things would be so much easier if i just stopped believing altogether and I think it's fair to say that not everybody who leaves faith creates a train wreck of their life. That would be dishonest. I think plenty of people can have some semblance of a good and happy life. Um, but I have seen so many folks have to go on these journeys where, well, their, their search for transcendence doesn't stop. So they, they have been, um, they, they, they've rejected the church on some level, but then what they do is they go on searches that take them to places that, you know, it, it, it's lots of different places, but typically nobody stays a materialist atheist. Nobody, I, I have never met somebody who was once a Christian who just, like, I, the only thing I believe in is what I can see and touch and feel. Nobody stays there. Now, I haven't met a single person who's done that. And um, there's one person in particular I'm thinking of. You know, she has gone, she's just gone into shamanism. She's taking people on peyote-induced, like, uh, vision quests now. And... I mean, it might be the greatest thing ever. I just, I don't know that that's more trustworthy than the Bible or something like that, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and a lot of your work also touches on that, that transcendence within the material. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that that's a, like, quality of some of the theologians and other writers that you've been really drawn to. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that's also what's so refreshing and and compelling about it for people is the sort of like hey that like boring ordinary tiny church you go to like there's transcendence there and you know other aspects of our ordinary lives you're sort of infusing transcendence yes 
Yeah, so the other thing that, that we've collectively been worn out of, so there's, there's in culture, there's you know, secular humanism that's running rampant. That's one thing that's wearing us all out. On the flip side, within the body of Christ, I would say like, like um, moral therapeutic deism, hyper mega church is wearing us out. Right. So, so in my city, we have like the biggest church in America and, and the, the, the pastor works out and, and, and none of the worship leaders wear cargo shorts. And so I'm like, oh, these people can't be trusted, you know, like, <laughs> like, but, um, but I'm being funny, but my point is that human beings can only endure a message about, um, well, if you go to church every day and the music is incredible and the lights are incredible and the smoke is incredible and the preaching is incredible, everything's amazing all of the time, you start, look, you, if you look at that icon long enough, your view of who God is and how life works will become skewed. And, and, it, and it does really well. It sells really well oh, yeah. because who doesn't want a better life, right. right? Like, I want a better life. I'm not taking a vow of poverty. I'm not trying to be poor. I'm not trying to not pay my mortgage or clothe my kids. Like, I want good things for my family, right? But I've, I've think I've been, um, Okay, so that's one thing within the body of Christ. The, the other thing that we've gotten worn out of, the other thing that, that has just wrecked me has been the um, insistence that there's this vast chasm between God and us. So there's, there's hyped up have a better life now church where if you just do the right things, then your life's gonna be amazing. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing is like, the whole Christian project is about getting your life in order enough so that God can finally endure you yeah. enough to be your friend. Yeah. And so it's, it's all about, the, the project's all about managing your life in a direction of, um, you know, Getting, getting the sin out of your life or yeah. something like that. All of that, all of that is a denial of the way things are, yeah. like a denial of our actual lives. Yeah. And I actually think that's the thing that God resists. Mm -hmm. So now don't hear me say, I'm not saying everything's a free for all and nothing matters and God's just, you know, happy with us doing what, that, that's clearly not the case. But I would say on a metaphysical level, the way I'm looking at the world now is that, that my life with God begins in belovedness. Yeah. So, so, so that's, where, that's, not my, that's not where I'm going, that's where I'm starting from. And, and um, in knowing that, that helps me to enjoy a glass of water with a friend. Yeah. It, it, uh, Dave, Dave was in here. We were having this conversation earlier. He asked me about, like, over my life, what has changed theologically for me? And this is the thing that we were talking about. And 
I was just saying how um, you, you asked the question, where does that ease come from that of, of, of communicating this way? I would, I would say it's probably rooted in blessed assurance. So there's, there's a satisfaction in myself, in my body, in my soul, in my heart that I, I, I know, I, I can feel the pleasure of God in, over me, yeah. about me. I can feel that. And I want to communicate in a, in a way that other people know that that's not on me because I'm a writer or a singer or some kind of spiritual or a guru. Or minor celebrity. Minor Christian celebrity. <laughs> this, is, this is for all of us, yeah. and we're all in this yeah. together. And so, and, and, then, and then making good choices has nothing to do with whether God loves us or not. Making good choices is just about, like, not destroying our lives, yeah. not destroying our communities. Like, we want to do well by our spouses, by our children, by our neighbors, by our enemies, because we know that, that, that the renewal of the land comes through those good choices, right? Mm. And so um, you, could, you could put it in technical terms. The, the earlier versions of my faith would, would be, have more been disembodied. Like God was over there, I'm over here, he's enduring me. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to get all the distractions out of my life so that I can be more devoted to God. That was, uh, that was our charismatic church, we talked about that. I, I, was, I was telling Dave, when I was a kid, I loved baseball. The San Francisco Giants, I was obsessed with them. Um, we didn't have a television, so me and my little brother, we'd stay up late at night listening to Giants games on the, on the, the radio, of all things. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's great. I know. And, um, and then I remember going to youth group one night, and the youth pastor saying, you've got to get all the distractions out of your life. Anything that's keeping you from God needs to go. And, right. and being a young person, wanting to do right, wanting to do well, wanting God to like me, I thought, oh, so I, I, I just kind of got rid of all the fun things in my life, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I, that seems like such a simplistic example, but, but, but I love sports. Like, I, I like to go fishing, I, and those are all good things that the Lord gave us to enjoy. Yeah. So... Yeah. 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 It reminds me of I think I think it's Richard Rohr who said something along the lines of like you cannot enter the presence of God because you're already always in the presence of God. Yeah. What's missing is awareness yes. often. And so if we can just become aware, aware of the goodness of a baseball game, aware of the goodness of a glass of water with a friend or yep. whatever it may be. Those aren't the distractions. Those mm -hmm. are what we're called to be aware. Whatever's in front of us. It, it is the, the presence of God because yes. we're never not in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. But we have so many, what, like you said, it exhausts us, yeah. doesn't it? To not, and so there's, yeah, there's something about your work, I think, that, that perhaps it's refreshing because it's the opposite of that exhaustion. It's just like, hey, you don't have to, you don't have to hustle. You just have to become aware. Yeah. And poetry is good at that. Yeah. Poetry is good at that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, we uh, were um, kind of considering your, your work as we were thinking about this evening, 
the uh, previous records that you've put out and then most recently um, you just put out a single mm -hmm. and your previous works are um, they're they're heartbreaking mm -hmm. there's a lot of parts of them that are that are about a heartache or about a struggle or about the challenges that come with faithfulness and your most recent work um, is called death defying joy mm -hmm. which is sick mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I mean it's it it has caused me to wonder is there a reason why you're why there's a turn to joy now yes it's and it's a very practical reason you might be disappointed with it the i'm ready so play i i, I play about 120 shows a year well I, I did this year and that's a lot of shows and so there's you, there's there's songwriting and then there's performing your songs in front of a room in a compelling way for an hour and a half. And so if you sing one tragic song after another, um, it just gets, it's like even if they have a great time, if, if I do that night after night after night, I, I mean, yeah, my poor family, they've heard my show so many times. Like, they, they literally do not care, you know? And so, um, so for this next album cycle, I've, I've really wanted to, you know, keep the Andy Squires edge. You know, I'm, I, I, I just like angsty stuff. So, I, I mean, and I like jokes and songs, and I think Death Defying Joy has some like pretty funny jokes right in the middle of it you know so, good. so the the absurdity piece the irony piece is something i've i've always wanted to keep in my music but but i definitely want to um just have some, some I, I i i want more spontaneous praise to break out in my shows because 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 I don't want I don't want to do worship concerts I, I can't handle it I, I don't if I see one more worship leader in leopard skin pants man I'm just gonna <laughs> die you know it has to be cargo shorts yeah it has to be cargo shorts I'm in yes that, that's my guy like cargo shorts and Crocs man that's sick, my guy sick. yeah yeah but um but uh, but but I've had this like desire for like spontaneous praise to break out and the, the bridge of that song I, I realized that that bridge is is kind of an answer for me um, you know in in my church we pray for people to be healed all the time it's kind of, we every week we do actually we we pray for the sick every week it's part of our we don't say we have a liturgy but we have a liturgy because we do the same things every week right gets um, tiring otherwise yeah right so yeah if you have to reinvent the wheel all the time right um but we pray for the sick all the time and and there's people in my church who talk about god healing all the time and I love it. I love it. I hate it and I love it at the exact same time because I've prayed for so many people who've died, you know? And so um, I realized a while ago, because I was having this conversation with myself, that I couldn't go down the road of John MacArthur and be like, 
God only speaks through the Bible. Like, that's, that's all he does is work through us reading the Bible. I'm just like, uh, first of all, I don't see it in the text at all. No. <laughs> and, and secondly, um, the thing that, that persuaded me even more was that I don't want to live my life never expecting a miracle. Like, I, I, I call my people, I call Pentecostal people, we are the people of perpetual disappointment, okay? Right. Yeah, we are. We're, we're the most disappointed people in the body of Christ, actually. Yeah, you set your expectations high. Yeah, the higher your expectations, the higher your mountains, the lower your valleys, yeah. right? No. John MacArthur sleeps like a baby. I'm sure he does. He does. He, I mean, cessationist reform people are the happiest people on the planet. They got zero expectations, and it's like they just sleep just so good, right? But I, I was, I was, I was, I could see my heart starting to go down that road, and I, I wasn't liking what I was seeing. I, I, like, I felt that cynicism that we were talking about at the very beginning, like creeping into my heart, where like, oh, I, God's not going to do anything. He never does, right? Yeah. And I realized that that was, that was, that's a beginning to something that, that I don't want to in, go towards. Yeah. And so I, this is what I said to the Lord. I said, I would rather live as a person of perpetual disappointment and still keep the possibility of miracles happening in my life. Um, I would rather live there than at John MacArthur's Strange Fire Conference, you know. <laughs> For, all, for all, any of you guys who know that. So. Right, right, right. He, he actually ha has a conference every year, and the, the whole conference is just g getting mad at my people. You oh, know? It's great. I, I watch it every year. It's great. Yeah, you love it? You love yeah, it? I love it. I love it. It's so funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> so much energy put into uh, against people believing in miracles. Like, it's, <laughs> it just fascinates the hell out of me. Like, wow, you really have to be mad about something to have a conference about it, you know? Right. Like, there's all right. these people over here that like, are just praying for the sick, and who cares if, they're no if nothing's happening? They're still going for it, right? And this guy is having a conference about it. I'm like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <Makes> that funny. <laughs> Good call, yeah. No, that's good, because I, I mean, there's something, and I mean, I, I think that there is something kind of terrifying about praying for a miracle. Yes. Because there's that disappointment that could come. Yes. But that's where, I think that's where God is for, for a lot of us. I think that's where we will find God more often. So, so you said earlier the thing that Roar says, which is um, God's presence is all around us, everywhere. I 100% agree with that. But there is another scriptural precedent. Mm -hmm. So there's the Holy Spirit within and among, but there's also the Holy Spirit upon. Yeah. And so, so I'll, I, I say this often, the future of the church is charismatic, okay? Mm. I fully believe that. <clears throat> because there's, there's this lethal combination in a person's life when they don't have to live their life continually feeling disconnected from God 
Because we're, we're working from the assumption that God is here with us in this room right now. The presence of God is here. We can say that with full conviction, right? But the next level to that is to live in a constant expectancy yeah. that the Spirit of God can show up in a way that's different than he is present here currently. Yeah. And he can fall upon a room, a space, a time, a person. And I want to be that person who's aware of both of those things. Yeah. Like living in the awareness of one and the expectation of the other. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah but I think that part of that is believing in a God that you can't control. Yes. Because sometimes that second upon us spirit doesn't come. Oh, absolutely. But then sometimes it does. Yeah, that's right. And we don't know when it's going to be. That's right. And you can't, you can't, you can't control this God. And there's nothing, That's there's right. nothing, you, there's no like, you know, mantra you need to say yeah. or bridge you need to sing 20 times. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing that's gonna, mm -hmm. there's nothing that's gonna make it happen for you because God is God. Yeah. And, and God is God. Yeah. That's right. I, I uh, last week I was, I spent the whole week listening to 1960s, african-american worship music heck yeah and it's gonna show up in your album uh i don't i don't i, I don't i don't know but but then i listened to martin luther king's mountaintop speech mm. and here here's a fascinating thing so so like in the american church black baptists are more pentecostal than white pentecostals if you guys know anything about this, this is, this is real. Um, and so I, I, I've been thinking about Christian music a lot lately, worship music in particular, and why is it that my heart feels so sad every time I hear evangelical worship music, whether it's on the radio at church or something like that? Why is my heart so sad? And and. I, first of all, the majority of songs that we sing in North America are written by 10 millionaires. Yeah. Okay, that's, so, so when, when, when you're only singing lyrics written by millionaires, that's a problem, first of all. And, and, and second of all, I realized that there, I don't like the word lamentation anymore because I've heard the Lamentation songs that are coming out of the church. I don't want anything to do with those either. But what, I've, what I'm hearing in the black church in the 60s, this, these people have been like harassed for 400 years. There's a faith that's present and resident in their singing. And what it's carrying is endurance. There's an enduring faith injected in their singing that I find missing when we're singing millionaire songs. And, and I, I know I'm treading on, this is maybe hard, I don't know. I, I don't mean to be overly critical. But really in my heart, what I'm wanting to do is regain our testimony. I want the church to regain mm -hmm. that river that's flowing inside of us. Because when you, when you listen to that speech, Martin Luther King, I can't, I can't call him Martin, that would be disrespectful, but Mr. Martin Luther King Jr., he, he says this, he says, 
This was three days before he was killed. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. But he says among these people, it is very possible that I won't be here to see what I saw at the top of that mountaintop. And as soon as he starts releasing these words out of his mouth, that room just starts pinging. People are coming out of their seats. There's an endurance, a hopefulness that's coming out of them. And I realized, oh my God, that's the thing. That's the thing that we're all longing to hear, but we're not hearing it. And so there's, there's a boldness. There's a boldness on, on, on him in that moment, in those people, in those songs that I want in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, and I'm just kind of maybe connecting these dots right now, but maybe the, some of the boldness or the earnestness that you hear in either my music or in these writings, uh, I am reaching for that river. I want to drink from that river. I want to bathe in that river. I want to sing from that river. And, you know, I mean, you know, that, that, that thing that Jesus says, and I mean, the New King James Version says they will have rivers of living water flowing from their bellies. I love that. So that scripture is one of my favorites, you know. Um, Oh, man, I can't remember the original question, but... No, I don't remember it either, but okay. I, I think, like, <laughs> <laughs> what I'm really moved by, like, like what would, what would those folks in America, in, those black folks in, in the 1960s have... And, and that oh, endurance piece. Oh, that, that was the thing, because we were talking about the bridge of death-defying joy. That's, where, yes, that's why, yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah, why yeah, I started right, talking about you, all this. You, we got back there. Okay, so, so, I, so I, I, was needing, I was needing an intersection in my life to praise God when all of my dreams came true and when none of my dreams came true. Right. So I was looking for that lyric, like, Lord, why, what's inside of me that can shout when the preacher gets up and talks about, I've, I might die in three days, right. but we will see this. We will see, I mean, he's proclaiming that. And I thought, man, there's, there's something in him that I want. Yeah. And so, so when I started, like, like, I, I hear all these people, like, if, if you spend any time on social media, you hear, you hear all the keys to success, like how to be fit, how to be mentally healthy, how to eat healthy. Everything's about your success, right? Everything, like, like everything in our lives is how to be more successful. We're hyper-focused on being, we're obsessed with success, right? And, but when I wrote that first lyric, in you, I am empty. I was like, what a relief. What a relief. I can stand in God. I can be in his presence and fully acknowledge my my emptiness. And nothing about our relationship has changed. Right. And and in you, but but at the same time, in you I am full. Because Lord knows I've had enough wilderness seasons. I want, I want a good season too to come my way. Like, like one time I had a friend say to me, Andy, you've gotten so good at preparing for poverty that when, when, the, when the season of celebration comes for you, you're not going to know what to do. And wow. I was like, oh, Lord, 
thank you for rebuking me. Like, yeah. like Lord, test me. Test yeah. me. <laughs> you know? So in you I am empty. In you I am full. In you I'm living with or without miracles. Right. Like both of those right. things. So, so, so the Christian life, the life of the Spirit, is, is a life that has room for, for all of those things. And, and the reason why, if that gets inside of you, it can transform your life. It may not make your life better, no. but, but it, it has potential to kind of like sweep away the anxiety and the fear that you have internally because, um, because it's like it's like a big trust fall. Like you're you're just it's it's you're just falling back into the blessed assurance of your Savior. You're trusting that even if things aren't okay in your life right now, that there is so much resurrection power living on the inside of us right now. And, and, and this is why I keep insisting on the charismatic side of this expression is because how you feel that river is that you start acknowledging it. How you feel that resurrection power that dwells on the inside of you, you start acknowledging it. You know, what is the hope of glory? It's Christ in you. What is the resting place or the dwelling place of God? God inside of you. And so that's just a balm to my soul. Mm -hmm. And back to the initial question of earnestness, I think all of those things feed into that. Mm -hmm. Just enjoyment of being alive, that enjoyment of being a human being yeah. in Hamilton, Canada, you know, Ontario, you know, like, <laughs> like it's, it's like what a wonderful place to live. Mm -hmm. This place where sometimes miracles don't happen, but sometimes they do. Right. Sometimes we just sing old, dry, dusty hymns, but sometimes the Spirit of God just wreaks havoc on his bride, and new songs come out, and the writers begin writing, and the poets start proclaiming, and like there's, there's these declarations of goodness over the city that come forth, yeah. you know? And so, and I will say this, We've gotten a lot of things wrong in, in the Pentecostal church, but one thing we really have going for us is we have a robust theology of the body. We really understand that worship is not about standing still. And, and I, I'm telling you, if you think that, that your, your praise is about you behaving, you have the wrong idea about praise. And I'm not telling you to go disrupt your church service. I'm not telling you to go do anything like that. I'm just saying, like, within yourself, there's something that wants to express gladness, thanksgiving, something to God. And um, I just don't think it's going to happen through the frozen chosen, man. <laughs> I mean, like, like... <clears throat> The frozen chosen are my forebears. Yeah, but, I get uh, it. I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> and uh, and you, Chris, like, oh, you know, occasionally there'll be a bit of swaying. Some you know? swaying, like, yeah. We're okay with that. But I do think there's something. There's something you 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 can't do much more than sway, unless you're actually totally sold out on the belief 
that 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 spirit upon us could come down like yeah. on that on that idea that there yeah. is actually something that could happen yeah. if yes. you allowed it to you at, at the very minimum have to say it's a possibility right right start right. there yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm kind of getting this like as i'm hearing you talk like something that's coming to mind is that there's a relationship between that earnestness and gratitude mm. Is there anything you could say about gratitude? Mm, man, I, I, I don't know if you guys have seen my recent, pr I had a post about this. I, in, in my first line was, I hate gratitude formulas. Mm. I, I mean, I feel like it's one of like the most um, commercialized riffs of all Christianity's history. Like so many books have been written about thankfulness, right? Like. 10,000 reasons to be thankful or a thousand gifts or something like that. I can't remember the name of the book. I'm sure it was great. Um, uh, yeah, I, I really don't have much to say about thankfulness. I, I don't think I'm that thankful, like in a clinical sense. Um, I, I just, I'm pretty glad. I'm just pretty happy mm. overall. Mm. And I think, you know, Abraham Rabbi Heschel talks a lot about um, wonder, spontaneous. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a Jew, he, but his, his, his work on praise has probably been the most transformative thing for me over the last five, five years. Um, but I, I really believe this, and we—I can't remember if we talked about this at the songwriting workshop today or somewhere else. So forgive me if I'm repeating myself. But my working theory about the world is that most of the things that we've been calling design flaws are really design features, mm. <clears throat> and. Um, there was a famous Canadian, I don't want to say his name, but he said something that I really liked. He said, man, the, the joy of being a limited creature is that it gives you something to do. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so I, I've figured this thing out that, like, I used to complain all the time about how I wasn't wealthy, how I wasn't famous, how I wasn't, like, there's, you know, all the stupid things that human beings think God owes them, yeah. right? Um, but really I've, 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 I've figured this thing out that the, all of the, we all, we all have a story, you know, your parents might be divorced or just, it's whatever. There's, there's, there's all these, these different versions of brokenness that we come from, right? Childhood, we were talking about childhood. Mm -hmm. Like everybody has a childhood they can write about or survive. Every, every one of us has had a childhood that we had to survive, right? Um, but, I'm, but, but now I'm thinking about all of the difficulties, brokenness, uh, uh, flaws, all, all of the things that... I, I have thought that were given to me to try to get over are, are really just the things that make the good seasons really good. Yeah. There's a Twilight Zone episode where this guy dies and goes to heaven 
and he was a gambler and he was a he was a mobster on earth and he he wakes up in a casino and he walks up to the poker table and he wins a tremendous amount of money the first hand he plays and he's ecstatic he's like this is the best thing ever and and all the drinks are free so he's getting drunk really fast because he's not paying for anything I mean, it's a, it's a house of vice. So anything that's available in a house of vice, he had access to. But the poker game was the main thing that was happening. Well, he starts winning hand after hand after hand after hand. Right. Finally, he loses complete interest in the poker game. Right. And, the, and, the, and the, the punchline of the joke is he turns to the maitre d' and says, if this is heaven, send me to hell. And the maitre d' says, what makes you think you're in heaven? Right. That's that was wow. the, that's the punchline. Yeah. And I, I was struck by that because I'm thinking, yeah, I'm always I'm always grasping for my life to make perfect sense. Yeah. I'm always, always grasping for the money to always be there or the relationship to always be perfect or all of these things. But it's a gift to us that none of those things are perfect right. and that our our journey into God is emphasized because of those things, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, yeah it um, all belongs. Yes, it, it all, all belongs. belongs. That's right. Wow. It's a great place for us to, to pause and to drink a glass of water. And I was wondering if in our last few minutes anyone had any questions that they would like to ask Andy. like the wind i don't know where you've been or where you go you're an unpredictable cloud of crazy like a fire burning low i saw you in the early glow like some kind of beautiful one the blind can see don't change your plans on my account I finally got you figured out Faith is not provoked without a word about me If you hear your name in vain It's me looking for you again Crushed beneath the spirit wind From glory to glory to glory to glory Tons of fire on my head my assumptions are dead Scandal is the daily dread I'm steep with you Pressure of the surgeon's knife You have always been precise A bowl in the china shop of my life Always breaking through Don't change your plans on my account I finally got you figured out Faith is not provoked
center of broken dreams and shattered love. A burden of your mercy runs like a river on the vine. And everything I used to know.